Uh, Ricky Nixon, it is episode three of the Chicken Coop. How you going, buddy? Toot, toot. Yeah, toot, toot. good, Marky. Yes, it's been a very long and interesting and great week for me and um, a lot of football. Been up in Mildura with Swanee and um, it was great up there. The team he played for, the Gold Gold Hawks, beat the undefeated Premiers from last year. So it was a massive, great weekend and what a game yesterday. Yeah, what a game yesterday, mate. It's Collingwood versus the uh, Essendon Bombers. Mm. Uh, the, mate, the Bombers were, were holding them pretty tight all the way, weren't they? Well, I, I actually, I wouldn't say I expected Essendon to win, but I thought Essendon were a big chance to win because I thought Collingwood would be a bit exhausted. I thought St Kilda would be too, and St Kilda proved me wrong. Yeah. And Collingwood proved me wrong, yet with 20 minutes to go in the game, or probably 30 minutes, um, you know, they're five goals down. Uh, I couldn't see them winning from there, and... You know, to their credit, and the likes of the Nick Dacoses who are getting all the publicity, but there's plenty of other players that are, you know, steel side bottoms been magnificent for them. Yep. Seven straight goals, mate. Yeah, I know. And uh, look, they've got a habit of doing it. And um, it's probably something that I guess when you're down and you're not going well, you know, and the captain says, no, we've done this before. We've done it 10 times in the last two years. It gives you a bit of confidence, doesn't it? It does. Um, yeah, so yeah, Nick. Speaking of Nick Dacos, second second year player, forty touches, two goals. I think uh, what six hundred and forty meters um, gained. Yep. You know. Um, yeah. Look, he's been he's he's getting all the publicity and rightly so. And um, I, I actually spent Monday night at an Anzac Day function and uh, was with his dad Peter, who oh, yeah. I managed late in his career. And it was great to have a chat to him just about how he feels, you know, um, having his, both his sons. Let's not forget Josh is a good player as well. Great player, yeah. um, And he, he, his reaction was great. He said, I just, I'm so excited. And when I go to the footy, you know, it's just great. And, and he said, I, I never uh, probably saw this coming. My Both my sons were very good footballers as juniors, but you never know if they're going to make it. And to be playing like they are, the next thing to cap off, of course, is uh, a, a premiership. Yeah, well... um. You know, it's uh, it's still early in the season. What what round what round are you, are you thinking is the sort of the point where, you know, you you, you sort of yeah. think it's about ten or twelve, don't you? Where, where, yeah, where? I always think it's ten or twelve. Although I call it the footy season starts in July, which is probably more around you know round fifteen. Um, you've only got to look at the last seven premierships; they're all won by the team that storms home. How, how, how many how many games do you reckon that a team needs to win to to position themselves? really strongly for the top four by the end of the Usually season. Usually 13 plus to make the eight and 15 plus to be sort of top four. Um, and, you know, at the moment, sure, St Kilda and Collingwood are leading the way. And let's face it, there was only a goal between them when they played in Adelaide. And I don't read much into that because both teams are missing players and both teams are going to mature differently in the rest next 15 weeks. And they might mature and play better too. So just while I'm on Nick Dacos, he's getting all the credit, but... There's a player I've observed over the last six weeks that no one's talking about, yet when you check most of the stats, he's far better than what Dacos is producing, or similar, I should say, probably not far better. Um, and that's Jack Sinclair at St Kilda. Um, similar sort of player, and was moved to the half-back line um, and kicks out from full-back, just like Dacos does. He's got great foot skills, um, absolute super pace and reads the play well. And he's the man who's setting St Kilda up at the moment, just like Nick Dacos is. And the two of them, one's getting absolute publicity after publicity and the other one's a silent achiever. Yeah, well, I mean, St Kilda generally don't sit on the radar as high as Collingwood, though, do they? No, and they never will. And uh, when I say never will, they've always been a team that's had a few Hollywood-type players, I guess. They don't have that anymore. The Trevor Barkers, who, by the way, 
passed away, uh, I think, on this day, um, you know, back in the 90s. And, you know, he's my hero growing up, Trevor Barker. Yeah, I think and he was a lot of leave, you, know, yeah. you know, 37, I think he was, when he left us. And, uh, like, he, he just oh, – when I played at St Kilda and played with him and he became one of my best mates. And people to this day don't know when I started player management, he rang me and said, Rick, I'm going to uh, help you. I said, oh, thanks for that. Um, how can you help me? Introduce me to players. I said, no, 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 I'll do all that. He goes, wait, put me, if you want to do book sports nights or get me to endorse something, I'll do it for free. I said, yeah, really? Right. He goes, yeah. And then whilst I still always pay, you know, try to pay, he, but yeah, just to do that um, was just amazing. And that was the type of guy he was. Yeah, well, he's uh, universally loved, isn't he, Trevor Barker? Oh, absolutely, and you know, look, he's, he was he was very much like um, Tony Modra, who we spoke about last week. Um, he was, yeah, he was the sort of first Tony Modra, I guess, that Hollywood type player. The girls loved him, the blonde hair, the good looks, but also played spectacularly well. Both of yeah. Mods and Barker were very similar, weren't they? they took the yeah, high a lot streamers, of, a lot of flair. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and uh, I'll never forget one <laughs> one night I was at the St Kilda Disco or nightclub, which was very popular back in the day, and. Uh, I decided to uh, head downstairs with a friend and um, we walked, we're talking through the president's room and I heard this knocking in the cupboard. And what the hell is going on there? I opened up the door and there was Barks with five girls in the cupboard having a good time. <laughs> he was always five times better than everyone else. He really was. Hey, yeah, um, also yeah. too, an, another big one from the week that's just gone by, the Cats gave the Swans a belting. Yeah, look, they did. And uh, I'd have to say I was very surprised. You know, I was big fan or hopeful that the Swans could be thereabouts again this year. And I think they still can be. They, they've got some very like – they've got five of their best six uh, backs out. So, you know, how are you going to beat Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron? But that, having said that too, um, they started the pre-season Geelong, I think, six to eight weeks after St Kilda. So, you know, yep. the things that start to even up from about now onwards is the fitness levels, um, the ability to play out the game. Um Etc. When when you say that they've had they've got so many key players out of the team, is that is that a legit strategy that they're employing right now? Because they are one of the best at long term success. Look, I think it's a good point, Marcy. Um, look, Geelong perfected it last year. Dangerfield played three of the first ten games. Yes, he was injured, but they chose to rescue. Um, is it a strategy? I think these days clubs realise if you're a contender at the start. But, you know, from based on form over the last few years, you've got to manage the year out. Whereas teams like St Kilda, they just want to win and have to win to get some credibility back in the system or the competition. Yeah. Hey, um, we've got a few uh, few little points to touch on this week. One of them is um, you and I. I we only wanna... had big points, Marksy. We do. We have big <laughs> points. Hey, um, but tackling and bumping was something yeah. that we wanted to discuss. I think that's really at an interesting stage when, you know, we're talking about one thousandth of a second split decision. And how are you ever going to stop that? You're not. Yeah. And if a player does a, what I'd call an accidental bump and hits the head in a preliminary final, God help us, because this is going to end up in court. And, you know, it's just like the concussion situation at the moment. It's it's heading down the track of all these legalities now and um, who's right, who's wrong. How can we fix it or change it? Uh, I don't have an answer. I yeah. think it's just it's, it's, at the, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Um, this whole area of the game, and look, it's not just AFL. It's country football. It's women's or girls football. Um, you know, I saw an incident a couple of years ago where uh, a, a girls team was playing, and I spoke to this girl before the game. 
she was, um, look, I'll say a big girl. She was probably 120 kilos. And she was great. She go, Rick, I love playing football because I, I uh, can't play netball. I'm too big. I've got too much weight. But I just sit at full back and I love it. And I go, oh, good on you. You know, she went out on the ground. And in the first one minute of the game, a little Asian girl that was 15 and weighed about 35 kilos <laughs> had her head over the ball. And the girl I was talking about just, just tried to go in as well, but hit her. And just, oh, she broke six ribs, uh, concussed. Um, and I actually rang Gil McLaughlin that day and said, "Well, wow, we've got to sit. We can't allow this to happen. Not at this level. You can't have you know thirty-five kilo girls playing against one hundred and twenty kilo no, girls. Mate, there's weight divisions um, in every other sport, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is. I mean, I guess in men's sport, it's a bit different. You don't often see a really skinny, um, you know, forty kilo boy playing senior football. That just doesn't happen. But yep. in the girls' football, we've definitely got to look at something like this because uh, you know it's it's." I'd hate to think what an outcome could be because uh, we don't look. You know, there's there's been a number of really bad concussions this year, and, in, and it's not just in AFL. I can tell you, it's in a lot of sports. That's it. And I mean, speaking of you know, sort of having the balance right between players on the field, we're, we're going to be heading into um, a lot of talk about player trading coming up. Yes, we are, and um, you know, to hear this week that the AFL is putting it to the Players Association that players don't have a say in where they're traded to. Oh, come on, please! Yeah, you know, where's the agents in today's game? Stand up to the Players Association and tell them to pull their finger out. That where, cannot happen. Where are they getting the idea for this strategy? Is this based oh. around some sort of American baseball, or what? What is this? Yeah. It's following in America, but the diff- big difference is, of course, you get paid millions of dollars over there. And a player is not going to go to a club that he doesn't want to go to to improve his career. If you want players to leave the game, I can tell you now, you're just going to set the pathway for them. They're just going to say, finger up, I'm not going I'm not going to the club I don't want to go to. I don't want to play there. I don't want to go to that city. I'm out of the game. See you later. Well, the implications of being traded without your consent, I mean, it's upending your whole lifestyle. I mean, different state, different, you know, there's family, yep. there's all sorts of things that come into play. So I don't see, well, how, I don't see how they can bring, bring that in. I just don't see it. Yeah, well, I'm interested in where, where are the big name agents, the Paul Connors of this world, you know, and Paul's a great operator and he's got some big name players. But I just see this silence from the agents these days. I mean, uh, get on the front foot. You're supposed to be representing your players. Get out there and get the best for them. The this dumb- collective bargaining and make sure the Players Association are responsible for delivering a collective bargaining agreement that's not all going one way, and that's the AFL's way. But is the problem these days is that the the machine that is the AFL is it? You know, I mean, this this organisation they can end a person's career. So, well, you know, it certainly w- can, and there's a, there's a massive shift in um, teenage kids focus, uh, not focus, sorry, but wanting to play basketball and soccer. Yeah. And you watch this year. I reckon there'll be at least five reasonably good AFL players leave the system to become punters in America. That's my mail. Um, And that's from a club in the US who are speaking to me about, and have been for five or six years, about potentially putting a program in place to bring the drop punt into the game in gridiron. Yeah, right. Um, Now, that's something that no one's thought of or discussed. And um, yeah, it's interesting. Instead of kicking torpedo punch, you kick a drop punt for placement that uh, Australian players at any level are much used to doing. Well, that's certainly going to open up some doors. But I guess what I'm referring to as well is um, you're talking about some of these you know, top-line uh, player agents around. I mean, are they able to say anything these days? 
Oh, look, I find it interesting that you don't see any quotes or rarely see quotes or comments from player agents these days. I think that's a lot to do with speaking to a couple of them, not recently, but last year, is they're at war with the media a fair bit these days, whereas back in my day, and we can't go backwards, but someone like a Scotty Palmer, who I respect you know, for the utmost highest degree, he would ring me and he'd say, Rick, I've got this story on Gary Ablett. And I'd go, oh, okay. And he goes, mate, do you want me to write it or not? I said, look, I prefer you don't. But listen, I'll give you a story. I'm doing a new contract on Wayne Carey. Go with that. He goes, okay, mate, I'll do that. Yep. Now, that doesn't happen today. It's all about clickbait. It's all about allegations all the time. And, you know, agents are fed up with it. The community's fed up with it. And, you know, the times come when, um, you know, I think something has to happen. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to player trading, you know, I'm curious, mate, how do the discussions start? You, you've got somebody that, you know, maybe a, a premier player in a club is, you know, coming out of contract. And yeah, look, h- how do you get that ball rolling? Well, I guess trading to me was always about who holds the power. Now, sometimes the agent does and sometimes the club does. Sometimes a more player rep- is, is, is a, you know, represented by the agent. Um, I know I used to do my own trades. Now, that might surprise people, but... You know, I can remember trading um, some players from one club to another to another, three-way deal sort of things that suited me or suited my players rather. Yeah. Uh, and the clubs really didn't have any say in it because they wanted a certain player and they didn't want to let go of a player that they had, but they thought it was in their best interest to let go of that player that I managed um, to get a better deal sort of thing. And the one that comes to mind is Lockie Henderson, who was in Brisbane, who I got to Carlton and Brenda Favola went to Brisbane, who said to this day, who's a great mate of mine and I used to manage him, but he, he went to another mate, agent. And so when he went he up in Brisbane, he said, Chicken, why'd you do that? I just put my finger up at him and said, have a good day, Fed. <laughs> yeah, right. Mate, does it ever get bitter or salty in those negotiations? You ever had anyone tell you to get the fuck out of their office or, you know? Uh, you know or, oh, look, worse? Yeah, yeah. I think it's always, I've always taken it that when you're managing or you're, uh, you're doing deals, I suppose, is you're not going to win all the time. So yeah. I always did this. I, I went, okay, if you want that deal, I'm not happy about that. Or, or I'm not thinking it's in my best interest. So can we do this? And they'd say, what's that? Um, my player at the club is on a contract that I think he's undervalued. You're only on 200 grand. You want to trade this player to Sydney. He doesn't want to go. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to up the value of the contract of the player that I want at the club with on more money and you we are only going to Sydney if we get double what they're offering and make it attractive to the player so many deals but there was a bit of an art to it in the end which um, I thought this you know this one was a classic one was um, back in the day um, Essendon were trying to trade a player and it got to five to two the deadline and I said no and then the uh, at about quarter past two they came back and agreed and I said well it's too late and uh, I said to them, well, hang on a minute. Let me ring the AFL. So I rang the AFL and I said, we've done the deal. And they said, it's too late, Rick. And I said, yeah, but I faxed it through at five to two. And you, your fax machine wasn't working. And the AFL said, actually, you're right, Rick. Someone else said the fax. All right, we'll get it done. <laughs> when it actually wasn't true. you got to love, uh, love the days where technology worked in your favour. Oh, yeah. Talking of fax, is a great story. I sent a fax to you. Greg Miller, the CEO of uh, North Melbourne, saying, mate, I'm sorry, we can't accept the offer of 700 for Wayne Carey. We need a million dollars. You've got seven days to decide. Otherwise, we'll consider our other options. I got an email back from a lady called Fiona 
who happened to be Jeff Kennett's uh, assistant. And she, she, I said, hi, how are you? What, what's what's up? She goes, oh, Ricky, I just want to let you know you sent me a fax oh, uh, no. for Wayne Carey to be on a, a million dollars. I went, oh, my God, did I send it to the wrong fax? She goes, yes, but for what it's worth, I reckon he's worth 1.2. <laughs> I cracked up laughing. Hey, and, uh, he did, hey mate, will, will we see players shifting clubs mid-season? Uh, look, we will, but it has to be uh, mutually agreed. Sometimes, though, I would say to a player that, He'd go, I don't want to go to Gold Coast Suns. And I'd go, but I understand that. But they're getting, you're getting double your money. It's going to set you up for life. You're going to play every week. And it's a great opportunity. So it might be in your best interest. And which brings me to the next topic, and I'll combine it here, is when a player is potential. I used to look at every player on my list every year and go, where's he at? Now, when someone like Jason Dunstall got to 28, and I thought he had about three years left, I went, okay, Jason, come in. Let's talk about retirement. He goes, well, I've got plenty of time. I said, I know that, but let's talk about we're not going to make a decision in one week when the day comes. We need you to get two people, a teammate and a mate who's not playing, to tell me what they think as we go along. Get a family member to tell you what they think, and you know, we'll talk to the club, and I'll tell you what I think. And there, we started planning out, you know, getting him some work experience at Triple M, uh, where to play, and all that sort of thing, and uh, also what to do after football, and. Um, I think someone like Trent Cotchins in that position at the moment, that I love Trent, absolute superstar player, done a few things for me, helped some kids with cancer. And um, I look at Trent and I go, well, what would I do if I was managing Trent? And he might be already doing this, but I think he needs to listen to what others think and not just the football club, but people he values, um, you know, what they think. And uh, Brad Johnson came to my office once and said he wanted to retire and I put that to him. And he said, yep, okay. So, Rick, you think I should just see what others think? Yeah, he goes, well, I'm not playing well. And I said, mate, how about you go to the coach and tell him to put you in the back pocket? Don't play up forward. Don't do the golf thing. Don't play on the ball. Go to the back pocket. He goes, why would I do that? So, you could get your career reignited. Yeah. And sure enough, he had his best, I reckon, two or three years after that. Is this like just putting a long-term exit plan in place? Yes, that's right. And I think, you know, it's a, it's like it's a strategy that people use in everyday life sometimes when they're working. Um you know, I know a mate like mine, Jerry Ryan, who's one of the richest and most powerful and successful businessmen in Australia. He's been retiring for 23 years, but he's still going, <laughs> Jerry, and good on him. He owns Steakhouse Caravans and Mitchell and Wines and everywhere else. Yeah, right, doing his farewell tour. It's funny yeah, when what, it. to hear you say, um, you know, talking to Jason Dunstall about thinking about this when he was 28. He's got three years left. You know, with yep. the, the advances in, in um, sports science and sports psychology and everything and nutrition, recovery, it's be fair to say that you could push push pretty well past thirty one now if you wanted to, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I think it, it always used to be when you got to thirty in AFL, you had to retire. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen with Dustin Martin. I think Dustin might be thirty one this year. Um, someone can tell me if I'm wrong or right. Um, you know, it's, it's a, the, the age thirty now that it's an athletic event doesn't apply as much as when it was more a physical event. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it, uh, why we always say someone's got to retire at 32, look, you look at Dustin Fletcher at, at Essendon, who I saw it on the Anzac Day function as well, and he's still in the same shape, Dusty, and, uh, and he's a great man, Dustin yeah. Fletcher. Well, I mean, years ago, um, you know, when my family were heavily involved in boxing, the, you know, the, the peak ages for boxing is kind of in your 20s, when, just like what you were saying with Dunstall at 28. When you got to 28 as a boxer, even back in the 90s, you know, you were getting to the the sort of the, you know, where there was a little less air up there, you know. 
And yeah, um, absolutely. Yep. You know, if you were thirty, boxing or fighting professionally back then, that was that was old. But now, oh, you know, yep. the, the the games changed. I mean, for example, in mixed martial arts, you see, yep. um, you know, fighters are not really hitting their physical peak until they're in their late twenties, and they're having yep. their, their the the biggest successful part of their careers probably between say 26 27 and about 37 38 yeah absolutely mate um, you know, spot on right right now what they're looking at is you know 40 is kind of the time where they're now starting to go look I'm I'm probably at that point where I need to look at getting out of the game so yeah no I agree mate yeah. you know I can imagine that you know if if people manage their bodies well and I know that it's a different kind of sport and there's a lot more um, running you know you're doing yeah. a lot yep. of Ks and that's going to be a uh, putting a lot of wear and tear on your body but yeah but there's there's got to be a um an extended career opportunity through sports science yep. for for people yep. these days yeah yeah absolutely mate spot on it's been a it's been a bit of a, a crazy week even a crazy year i mean some of the some of the stories we've talked about um hmm. the concussion thing a number of times uh already you and i and um you know, just after our second episode, I, you know, I sent you a link with Gary Ablett, yep. and you sent the same link back to me from a different paper. Um, Gary had had um, is having some serious health issues regarding, you know, what he claims to be concussion-related injuries sustained playing football, uh, and then you know we hear from uh, from you know the king himself, Wayne Carey, who's. Um, you know he's got he's got different opinions. I mean, you mar- managed both of these guys, two of the biggest names to ever play. Seems like they're coming from uh, yeah from conflicting sides oh, of the first argument. First of all, Gary what do, and what do you got to say about are great friends of mine, and I love them to death. They're both very different cats, <laughs> um, but both had one thing in common: they were brilliant footballers. And you know, the headlines that Wayne Carey was bagging Gary Ablett and everything else. I I wasn't happy. I was angry about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when I read it. He didn't say anything about Gary Ablett. He just said that in defence of the AFL, you know, and look, I don't agree with his comments, but at the end of the day, he's entitled to them. Um, what I do agree with is he said he thinks he needs his brain, brain tested. Well, I agree with that, Wayne. You have been uh, lacking in that area for a while. But she uh, goes bang. Yeah. Um, but look, what uh, happened on at the Anzac Day function on Monday night, a lot of legends there, Peter Dacos, as I mentioned, Tony Shaw, Kevin Sheedy, James Hurd. It was great to catch up with him and Michael Long, who I'll talk about in a minute. But um, Tony Shaw was on stage and he basically said that he thought these whole court cases are just to grab at money. And everything else, and when, and when it came, and I stood up and grabbed the microphone and uh, said very clearly that I think you should take that back, Tony, because one, you don't know Gary Ablett or any of these players. You didn't manage them. You didn't deal with them when they were going through a terrible time. Yep. And um, whilst I do understand what you're saying, um, I think you should pull your head in. And in fairness to Tony, who I've always got on well with, I went and saw him after he got off stage and he gave me a hug. He goes, chicken, I apologise. I, I do see where you're coming from. Um, so maybe we all need to take a chill pill and let it just take its course. And I agree with that. Um, look, it's a very difficult situation. I know what I harp yeah. on about concussion, 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 but I'll leave it at this. Is At the end of the day, it's like anything in life. You've yeah. got to prove. Allegations are allegations. But proof is, for some reason, allegations cop the headlines. And the proof never comes out. Um, so we've got to make sure that if there, someone has a case to, to take to the courts, then they've got some evidence to back it up. Yeah, you've got to let the science do the talking, that's for sure. But then, 
obviously, um, yep. you know, people need to get behind that science and, and see what we can do to, to improve the uh, yep. health and safety of the players, especially long term. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, it'd be very sad have somebody like, uh, you know, Gary Ablett Sr., you know, suffering from uh, from these kinds of things, whether it's inflicted through his games playing as an AFL player or not. Um, just well, the one thing to, that to be no one's like aware of is, it's has just been once read. reported is uh, at the end of the day, the judge or magistrate's going to say, well, Mr. AFL, tell us what you did to let Mr. Ablett know about the risks of football. And they say, well, we, we said duty of care that you've got to be aware that this could happen to you. And I'd love to see them show proof of that. Um, then they're going to say, Mr. Ablett, tell us what you know. Now, Mr. Ablett well, I mean, might yeah. say, well, I'm so um, depressed. I'm so down. I can't remember things. I don't remember what happened. I just know that I got knocked out five times. I know that I felt strange the next day and the next week. Here's the big thing that I'm going to go bang on. What the public don't know, and everyone listening to this podcast tune in, is Clubs have destroyed all the medical records of past players back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Now, that is an absolute disgrace, and the media needs to take this up and take them on about it. Yeah. How can they destroy my my medical records, let alone everybody else's medical records? The Players Association needs to take this up and stand up for once for the players. Chicken goes bang. Chicken goes bang. But, you know, mate, if they've destroyed those records, then essentially anybody that makes a claim against any kind of injury or suffering that they've got related to their playing days in this sport needs to be taken on the face well, value the other thing of that the, they don't, in a person they making destroy, the claim. I tell you, is there's uh, six filing cabinets downstairs locked up security-wise in my place that have all the files of every player. And they're handwritten, a lot of them, because back in the 90s, you know, we didn't have the – well, we had computers. But I made notes, not on every player, but several players who were concussed. And I had, I had no idea we are going to get to where we are now. But I made uh, – I just wrote down some behavioural changes yeah. and spoke to doctors at the time about could it be concussion-related. Now, there's no probably 100% proof that we know it was. But, you know, for one player, and I won't name him, who was concussed and knocked out, and a couple of weeks later, I was told by his teammates that he was acting a bit strange. He rode a motorbike into Marvel Stadium, into the front reception of my offices, and then into my office. And we, everyone went, what? Now, look, oh, it's um, behavior like that that was recorded. And, um, you know, the proof of whether it was a, a concussion or not, I un- understand will be questioned. But at the same time, I'd raise, well, hang on, two weeks leading up to the or for 20 years leading up to you when he got concussed, he didn't ride a motorbike into my office. So we'll see what happens. No. Hey, just no. on Michael Long, who I, sorry, he, I was going to say Michael Long. Yeah, mate. Um, uh, great, great guy and Indigenous players done a lot of stuff for his community. I said to Longy, do you remember when when I first managed you at Essendon? He goes, yeah, chicken, I remember it. I said, but do you remember when you rang me? Um, you were absolutely panicking. He goes, no, what happened? I said, you don't remember? He goes, no. I'm not saying this is concussion related. I said, what? He was saying, Ricky, you've got to come out to my house now, straight away, mate. You've got to come out now. I said, what's wrong? And he goes, I don't want to say. I, I just, can you come out now? I said, oh, okay. So I drove out to his house and he had all his family there. And I said, what's wrong, Michael? He goes, mate, what's an ATM? I said, what do you mean? He goes, what's an ATM? Because the club said, I asked the club for my money and they said it's in the ATM. I go, you don't know what an ATM is. He goes, Rick, I'm born in the Outback Northern <laughs> Territory. It gets better. 
we went out the street and then all of a sudden um, <laughs> we went a few blocks. So he went to where the bank was. And when we came out, he nearly got hit by a tram. And I said, what? mate, did you see that coming? He goes, what the hell are they? I said, that's a tram. Oh, shit. Foggy. Now things have changed. And um, yeah, just the other funny footy story, yeah, just recollecting about some old teammates is um, Bruce Bill, probably the great, one of the greatest legends ever played for Carlton. I'll never forget back in 1981 or two, I was only 17, 18, and I'm walking out in the car park with him and Julie goes, um, chicken, just out of interest, mate, what sort of money uh, are you getting? You know, to play. I said, Oh, I'm getting 15 grand. He goes, 15 grand? You're getting 15 grand? I said, Oh, uh, yeah, how much are you getting? He goes, I'm getting nine. I go, No way. Anyway, next time I come to training, the CEO of the coach who called me in, Why did you tell him you were getting 15 grand a game, chicken? I said, I didn't mean a game. I meant 15 <laughs> grand for the whole year. He goes, Oh, Julie thought you meant 15 grand a game. I said, No, no, no. He was on nine grand a game. I was on like 500, I think. But um, great player, yeah. Oh, fucking hell! That's that, mate. That shows the uh, discrepancy between the value of playing football. Yeah, absolutely. In the, uh, now the big game this week too. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, Mark. Is Swanee is playing out at the Basin, and this is yeah. But where it's really exciting is I got a call right last me. night from great friend Sue Cameron Cloak, who I managed, and I didn't realise he's playing for Temple so this weekend against Swanee. Yep. And I said, well, why don't we make sure that you play on Swanee? Oh, fantastic. You play in our forward, he plays in our back, and we'll decide finally who the greatest Collingwood player of all time was. So out of the basin at 2 o'clock this Saturday, Swanee <laughs> playing for the basin and Cameron Pope for Templestone. And they, they drew the biggest crowd of anyone in the last five years out there when Barry Hall played the week after he was sacked by Triple M. Um, one of the biggest games there. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it this week. Yeah, I'm going to come out and say good day, mate. I've got my uh, yep. daughter's birthday party from twelve to one thirty in Croydon. Then uh, I'm going to come out and have a um, oh yeah, have yeah. a um, no. That's my expertise. I'm really good at having a beer with everyone <laughs> in the crowd, and uh, uh, sometimes yeah. But uh, I'm also just so you know, I'm, I, you, and you can take me up on this year, next year. Sorry, Marky, is Swanee has challenged me to play one game next year, yeah. and I've taken up the offer or the challenge. And I reckon it's oh, going to decide who can who actually can kick the most goals. So next year, one club. Uh, everyone says. Hey, did they call you the chicken mouth, because but, of your legs? Or but, <laughs> just before we go through, I just want to give a shout out to Maddie Patzel, who, who's from MG Plasters, who look after us, and they're a great company over there in Mount. Yeah, MG Plasters over in uh, Mount Gambier. And he's been a little bit crook lately, my old mate. But he, one thing that's keeping him smiling is the Saints. Uh, they've only lost one game this year, and he's a man, Saints man. So. Big shout-out to you, Maddie. Big shout-out to Maddie. Hopefully um, yeah, the Saints keep you happy through most of the year until yeah, exactly. the very end when the pies <laughs> snatch it off you. A little bit of shine on it for you, mate. Uh, number two in Australia's sports news. Number f- the, num- oh, the number six yeah. in New Zealand for news. Oh, New Zealand. Well, we know we know a lot of we know a lot of sheep over there, don't we, Mark? We got into the top. We got into the top fifty of the United States sports news podcasts. Oh, that makes sense because you it know, does. most Americans would want to hear from a chicken. They certainly yeah. would. We also we made it into the top twenty-five of Australian news podcasts. So there you go, and we wow. also made it in at to number twenty-one this week on the Spotify Australian news podcast. So not just the Jeez. sub subcategory of sports news, but we got into the top twenty-five news programs in the country. 
Does that mean that you've outraged the community? Does it, Mark? Let's let's well, only we can only hope. Outraged. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope, that's for mate. Sure, mate. That's yeah, it, buddy. That's for sure. But um, right, mate, mate, Ricky, mate, it's been uh, been bloody good chatting again. Well, um, next next week, mate, have we got any, we're going to get Cuzzy next week, or what are we? Oh, we will get a big name player, but I haven't actually decided which one we'll go with yet. But okay. just stay tuned. Next Monday night, we'll be back at the normal, a bit of normality, back to eight o'clock Monday night. That's it. Um, just due to the disruption of Anzac Week this week, but uh, yeah, we'll have a big name on next week, and we'll ask him a, a question that no one else has ever asked him. <laughs> we certainly will, Ricky Nixon. This is the Chicken Coop. Coop, coop. See you next.